On November 17th, the third season of The Crown, which focuses on the reign of Queen Elizabeth II, will premiere on Netflix. Viewers love to watch the show for its juicy political and personal plots and its beautiful, elaborate costumes. On this episode of UNT Pod, join me, Jessica DeLeon, and the UNT family as we explore British royal fa fashion from Queen Elizabeth II to the newest royals. We'll talk about the making of the Queen's fabulous wedding dress, replicated in the first episode of the show, and the impact that Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex, makes on the fashion world. Hi, my name's Annette Becker. I'm currently the director of the Texas Fashion Collection, which is part of the College of Visual Art and Design at the University of North Texas. So thinking through Queen Elizabeth's wedding dress, um, there are a lot of things to consider when we're thinking about what it's made of, who was making it, and who wore it. Um, so Queen Elizabeth's wedding dress is quite different from most of the clothing that we wear on a daily basis, just um, through the nature of the person who's wearing it. So Queen Elizabeth is a political figure, she's the head of a state, and she's representing the dreams and ambitions and hopes of an entire country and you know all of the outlying regions that are control were controlled by the crown um, during the, the height of its colonial period. Um, so there are a lot of things to consider with that. Um, part of what Queen Elizabeth had to think through was representing her own cultural context, which is something that we often talk about today in discussions about cultural appropriation. So Queen Elizabeth, rather than thinking about all of the things she could incorporate into her dress that reflect how worldly her perspective is, she was really focusing on things that represented um, Britishness and what it meant to be the leader of the United Kingdom. So part of that was reflecting um, the, the expertise in her own country. So the embroidery on her dress was incredibly beautiful, um, created out of tiny seed pearls, which are natural pearls that are naturally smaller. Um, I think the, the figure is around 10,000 of those were hand-stitched onto her dress. You can imagine the incredible effect that would have in photographs um, as you know, hundreds of thousands of people are looking at images of the queen. She needed to have something that made a big visual impact and felt special. Um, from some of the research I've done, there are suggestions that the, uh, the company now known as Hand and Lock did most of that embroidery, and they were well known for working with um, the high British designer Norman Hartnell, who created this dress. So often when we think about fashion, we think about the name and the label that's in our, our garment. We think about Christian Dior or Coco Chanel, and sometimes we forget about all of the other people who contributed to that piece being made. Um, so Norman Hartnell is known as the, you know, the famous designer, the person whose name is most closely associated with this dress. But it's important to remember that there were artisans who are working at the company, again, now known as Hand and Lock, um, that were doing this incredible embroidery. This company has been around for hundreds of years. Um, they have uh, programs where they have apprentices that come in and learn and train that for years before they actually make a finished piece, they're practicing and practicing, making sure their skills are at the highest level before they start working on something, you know, especially as prized and valuable as the queen's wedding dress. <laughs> You're not just going to get let a, a first year intern on a project like that. So Queen Elizabeth really employed, um, through Norman Hartnell, some of the, the real creative leaders of the United Kingdom. The lace in her veil was also created in the United Kingdom. Um, I think it came from a, a lace maker in Kent. Um, so thinking about some of the, the other you know, regional talent that she wanted to highlight in her dress. Um, uh, something that I've also read is that the silk that was used for her dress came from China. 
Um, so China, Japan, and Italy have been centers for silk production historically, but because Japan and Italy um, were fighting against the UK during World War II, and Queen Elizabeth was married in 1947, um, politically it was important for her to choose materials that came, you know, from countries that were aligned with hers. <laughs> um, so there were some materials that in some ways were kind of off limits to her that other people might have had access to for their wedding dress. And Norman Hartnell already had a really close relationship with, um, you know, with the, the UK government, with the Queen. Um, and since he was considered a high fashion designer, it kind of made sense for Queen Elizabeth to choose him. Um, it even though she was the queen, she still had to follow some of the rules um, within the UK for procuring clothing. So 1947 was pretty shortly after World War II, so she had to save up rationing tickets um, to be able to basically like afford the materials to create this dress. And it's easy for us to look at photographs of this incredibly luxurious piece made out, out of this glistening silk satin with delicate embroidery and pearls attached to the surface um, and forget that this was still a time of austerity in the United Kingdom. Um, interestingly, 1947 was a pretty big year for fashion changing post-war. Um, so especially for some of our listeners in the DFW area, um, they might have gotten to see the recent um, Dior from Paris to the World exhibition at the Dallas Museum of Art and might think about Christian Dior opening his haute couture house in Paris in 1947, which is a moment that fashion history often casts as completely transformative um, because Christian Dior popularized this new silhouette, which was called the new look. Uh, which was kind of a um, rounded shoulders and really nipped in waist in a full skirt, um, kind of creating an exaggerated hourglass, you know, really feminine, hyper-feminine silhouette. Um, if we look at Queen Elizabeth's dress, we can see some of that shape in that. So we often think about Christian Dior being the originator of the shape, um, that Parisian French haute couture is the height of fashion and is what dictates all. Um, but we can see in this dress that Norman Hartnell made um, that she was, that Queen Elizabeth was really part of this changing fashion moment. Um, so it's not just Christian Dior ma waving his magic wand and fashion changing in 1947, um, but the people like Norman Hartnell, who is friends with Dior and um, fashion clients like Queen Elizabeth were really interested in this changing idea of what fashion and beauty ideals were at that moment. When we're looking at Queen Elizabeth's wedding dress, I think understanding that this wasn't some off-the-rack, you know, ready-to-wear, fly-by-night kind of design, that this was intentionally created for her with the materials, with the symbolism, um, with the designs on the dress, um, and then with the shape of it, that all of this has come together to make something that was uniquely for her. Um, that's really a special thing. Um, and I've read that for, um, for the show The Crown, that the costume designers tried to recreate that experience by having a custom-made dress, both to recreate um, the historic piece that Queen Elizabeth wore, but then also to re reflect that lead actress's body and shape. You can't just recreate the exact same dress um, for that actress's body because they aren't the si same size and shape and proportion. Um, so there's a little bit of translation there to make sure the idea of custom-made is still um, being enacted through this contemporary dress being created for the show. Um, she was not chosen to be queen because she was particularly great at giving public speeches or because she's so fashion forward that everyone wants to look just like her. Um, at the end of the day, she's just another person. And remembering that 
I think is really important. And I think one of the great successes of the show, The Crown, you can see her as a, a really complicated person who had to make decisions, both as a, a very human individual, but then also as someone who's representing something so much bigger than her all the time. You know, the incredible pressure of being a mother and wife, but then also being a public figure. So the Texas Fashion Collection does include three pieces by Norman Hartnell. Um, importantly, one of them is from the same year that Queen Elizabeth got married. So we have a really beautiful evening dress, um, similarly made in white silk satin, similarly with seed pearls embroidered to the surface. Um, the piece that we have also has lace applique on the top of it, and it has a similar silhouette to the, the wedding dress that Queen Elizabeth wore. Um, I would encourage people listening to this to go to the Texas Fashion Collections website. Um, there we have about 12% of our collection that's been photographed and digitized in a collaboration with the UNT Libraries. And while I'm not sure the Norman Hartnell pieces are up on our digital library yet, there are thousands of other pieces that you can look at there. And getting to see the, the quality of construction, the incredible materials, the craftsmanship in our collection is really um, something to be noted. While the Queen's wedding dress represented the Britishness and creative thinking of that era, the current Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle, sends another message through her clothing by promoting sustainability and accessibility. Uh, my name is Eva Yesratievich, and um, I'm assistant professor in the Department of Merchandising and Digital Retail uh, here at UNT College of Hospitality, Merchandising and Retail. Usually the Queen Elizabeth and Prince Charles are the uh, royal family members that are, are required to approve the brand before it is um, considered for uh, wearing that during public purposes. However, today uh, our duchies and uh, princesses, they wear ready-to-wear brands and this is really uh, remarkable because it has uh, immediate positive effect on all brands. And uh, surprisingly, they are selecting to wear very uh, new brands. Uh, for example, Megan is wearing most of uh, brands that are um, originated from America, which is interesting. And um, I think that this is so powerful. I read one information that I would like to mention. So during uh, her uh, wedding ceremony, Megan wore a dress from Stella McCartney. And after her wedding ceremony, uh, immediate um, uh, response was very positive and there were waiting lists of 3,000 women around the world that were waiting for the similar kind of dress. So this is immediate positive uh, effect for the brand itself. During the US Open season uh, a few days ago or a month ago, she wore a J. Crew dress and it is really affordable piece. I think that it cost around $100 which is really affordable for most of the people here in America. So uh, another thing is the fact that uh, J. Crew sales after that event increases the, increased by 64%. So we often think as consumers that we don't have control over our image, but what she knows very well is that in fact, as a consumers, we do have control. Uh, clothing is powerful medium and clothing uh, generates certain kind of associations and meaning even on the unconscious level. So once you are aware of that power, you can use your 
quotes to communicate. Assumption and clothing production is among the uh, most polluting uh, disciplines that exist in the industry nowadays because in order to produce any uh, clothes, you need to spend uh, large amounts of water and energy and then use uh, a large n- um, number of people who are required to produce those garments because most of the processes are not fully um, uh, mechanical. So it requires labor force. And very often in the industry, we have uh, kids that are working in the supply chain. So I really think when she start promoting all brands that are sustainable in their nature, such as Reformation, Patagonia, Ellen Fisher, that she's really trying to send that important message to the public that we should start and think which kind of brands we would like to support with our purchasing uh, practices. So this is so powerful. And I, I am impressed with things that she's doing. I think they are, uh, by definition, bigger and uh, maybe stronger influencers because think about their role. They are really positive role models. There is nothing negative associated with the royal family members. And with most of public figures, celebrities, there are so many things that are known, right, and that are not so positive. So maybe that can um, represent obstacle. Um, in their effort to promote certain kind of brands. So in the terms of uh, Megan and, and Kay, they are both young and uh, beautiful. They are also supporting good cause. Uh, we mentioned about uh, Meghan Markle's effort, uh, effort now to, to support disadvantaged women. And she's now launching, actually she already launched a brand, uh, Capsule Wardrobe Collection. Um, that is supporting uh, women that are coming back to the workforce. So this is really positive thing that they are doing for the community and for the women in general. So I really think that this again reflects their positive leadership. For more information about the Texas Fashion Collection, log on to tfc.unt.edu. Thank you for listening to UNT Pod. Connect with us on Twitter at UNT Social and on Instagram at UNT.